Welcome to Real Indigenous, where Indigenous people sit around and talk about everything that's real on the different screens and in between. And with me today is Candace. <laughs> and also <laughs> Angela. <laughs> and Candace, you got some big news coming up. <laughs> yes, I do. We are organizing ScostiCon coming to the Cherokee Nation in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. It is the first Indigenous comic convention in the Cherokee Nation. Information, go to Visit Cherokee Nation on Facebook or Instagram. We're less than a month away. Uh, It is November 5th at Northeastern State University from 10 to 5 p.m. The convention will feature Indigenous artists, Native pop culture comic book and cosplay panel discussions, vendor booths, family-friendly cosplay competition, and a screening of Inigayi, an original animated series, all in the Cherokee language. If you love comic books, pop culture, TV movies, or native art, do not miss ScostiCon. Find out more at scosticon.com, spelled S-K-A-S-D-I-C-O-N.com. And Angela, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight, we are talking about Thunderheart. And we're going to have like a little content warning here. There is a lot of trauma that is addressed in the film and we will be discussing it. So take whatever precautions you need to take care of yourself. Well, okay. (laughs) So I have really fuzzy memories of seeing Thunderheart in the theater in the 90s. So that's why I wanted to, you know, look at this again, because it's been a few decades. I thought, you know, I keep seeing people on social media talking about rage, hate, rage, watching it, da, 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 da. And I was like, hey, you know, I don't, the only thing I remember about it because was my dad who was BIA complaining about AIM and mm-hmm. talking about the, since he was trying to change things within the system and they're trying to change things, you know, outside of the system. And there was some conflict there in his opinion. So that was my only memory of that movie, other than Val Kilmer being in it, who was fresh off the doors. So he had just started. Movie the doors, not actually the door. (laughs) No, no, but he had just finished starring as Jim. I almost said Jim Henson. Jim Jim Morrison. Morrison. (laughs) (laughs) Just for just for the young cats, who's like the doors? What are you talking about? Is like fresh off the boat? <laughs> I did some research on it. And then I pulled, of course, pulled up IMDb, read Roger Ebert's review, da, 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 da. So I find it very interesting that the director directed some James Bond movies. Oh. Yeah. So he's, he's British and has, he shot Enigma, The World Is Not Enough. And he did some episodes of Masters of Sex, which the young people will know about. (laughs) (laughs) He did, oh, what was some of the other ones? New York News, which nobody here remembers. Gorillas in the Mist, Gorky Park, Coal Miner's Daughter. So, I mean, this is a guy who didn't grow up in the U.S., who has a good resume for directing. You know, quite often we say that it takes somebody outside of the U.S. to take a look at the iniquities that happen here, right? Mm -hmm. 
a lot of a lot of the movies that are that discuss race are made by people from outside of the U.S. The ones mm-hmm. that are good, and so I found that interesting that he was the director and the writer is this high school dropout who spent actually spent five years on the res researching this script and according to him there's some interviews that i read he based a lot of these characters on the people that he lived with and so i i was more impressed with thunderheart than i thought i would be just because it kind of gets a bad rap because the lead is actually you know he's non-native and he's supposed to be native but at the very beginning of the whole thing he's like i'm not native and they're like yeah you don't you have some some native in you somewhere he's like no i'm like irish or whatever and they're like no it's somewhere back there you're going to be the the indian on the indians and that's how they kind of throw throw him into the pit and once he gets there they're the whole mystery is, you know, based on true, a true story of a murderer on the res. And it's more of an expose on how the FBI was treating people on the reservation and the members of AIM or ARM as they're called here. Hmm. And the goon squad that was roughing up all of the natives that wanted to stay tradish. And so it, in fact, I want to say the director made a, a documentary about the whole thing in addition to this movie, which I didn't have I can't remember. Yeah, Incidentala. Yeah. And I cannot remember if that came out before Thunderheart or after. And I can't remember in what order I watched it when I was younger, you know, because, but I do like remember, I, I saw that movie when it, you know, when it was, I don't, I didn't see the incident in in theaters, but as soon as it came out, like to video or whatever it was back then, I, we did rent it and watch it as, you know, as Indian families do, you know, anything that's Indian, you go get it and watch it. And um, it, it's actually a good uh, doc that we should have watched as a companion piece of this movie. And uh, because it's, it's, it's about all the stuff that happened there, the whole storyline, and, and a lot of it focuses on uh, Leonard Peltier mm-hmm. and being put in prison and those kind of things. So sorry to interrupt, but anyway. No, 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 you're, you are remembering all correctly. It came out the same year, actually, 92. Okay. And Robert Redford, it says, is the narrator. That is right. I forgot about that, too. All kinds of Indian loving up in, this, uh, up in these two movies. <laughs> I know. I mean, I walked into it thinking it was going to be kind of cringeworthy, eye-rolly type situation. But by the end of it, I was like, dang, that's some messed up stuff that they were pulling on the res. And, you know, at the time, you know, smoke signals hadn't come out yet. Native directors weren't out there telling their stories yet. And so you know, yeah, this is probably t- like so, probably not long after Dances with Wolves, I would think it was Graham Greene's second film after Dances or his next film after Dances with Wolves. So, yeah, so yeah, probably before Last of the Mohicans, I would think, too. Ooh, I don't know on that one. Okay, anyway, so it, it was that era, you know, how we said every 20 years Indians become a, a deal, so that a was deal. the era, that it was, was, but instead of the white saviory type thing. I didn't get 
that much of the white savior trope in this one. Although, yeah, I guess there was a little bit because. Um, yeah, it's kind of white savory. savory. And he's got that tape. Some of the complaints that I've heard is like, okay, so it's a mixed race Indian guy who is disconnected from his culture and traditions and people. Like a, what do you call it? Sliding in the white man becomes Indian by saying, well, he's, but not really because he was actually white and he really didn't connect to it. <laughs> so back in the day, I think that was like a lot of discussion that people talked about. It's like, yeah, but why isn't Graham Greene? Because, and I, I'm, I, I'm, I'll try not to jump ahead too much, but why isn't Graham Greene actually the main character? Because he was the one who actually saw all the clues. And they were like, so why isn't that, you know, we just still put Graham Greene as the tonto of our Lone Ranger in this movie? which goes into a conversation that i had with a producer here in oklahoma city who is an oscar winner who flat out said when we talked to him about these kinds of movies getting picked up he said it doesn't matter what the movie's about only if there's a famous name in it and sam shepherd was that famous name that got Mm -hmm. the film made and got it distributed according to the show business side of the world in the 90s -hmm. right yeah so it's definitely a product of its time yeah, I'm sure Val Kilmer was probably a famous name at that time too, right? Because he just, did he get an Oscar for that? Uh, the for the gym- Doors, he probably got nominated, yeah. Yeah, and then we have Robert De Niro, who is a name who produced it. Yep. And Michael Apted has pedigree. And I want to say John Fusco is a name screenwriter. screenwriter he is. At that time. Yeah. He was, because I oh, my memory of him was Crossroads, which is like one of my favorite movies. Right. Guitar playing. And that yeah. was like his script that he wrote. He wrote it like in college. And, yeah. my, and my friend actually knows him. And he is like really big into Indians and like uh, Asian cinema stuff. Like those two are kind of like the stuff he wants. I think he even tried to write a Carlisle story at one time to get produced. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And he actually got a, an award at the uh, uh, Cowboy Hall of Fame up here. And, oh uh, really yeah so so he's what do you what do you call those people he's, he's, he's got some of, he's got some bona fides yeah he, he he at least you know he loves indians i guess you know <laughs> well you know there's some stuff you know in there that you're like wow he how did he know that or where did he come up with that and you you know and since he lived with them for five years i guess they they i read somewhere that they trusted him to tell the story and it felt like that to me as I was watching it. It was like, there was a lot of access, like the feel of it and a lot of the, the way in which it was presented and, and, and things like that. And even the use of the language. And I read somewhere that he actually knows Lakota because he, he, he spent Staying five years. so long, yeah. Yeah, spent five years on the land and learned the language. And so he kind of, you know, was our own Lieutenant Dunbar. Yeah. But, you know, the whole thing starts out as a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a button up FBI by the book, bright eyed, bushy tailed kid showing up on the res and you meet the crusty old cop that's been there. You know, it's just the way it is. Why are you trying to do this? And Roy comes out as this big hard ass because he throws Graham Greene's character on the ground and, you know, roughs him up the first time we meet. What's his, what's his name? Walter? Crow horse. Yeah, crow horse. That's what it was. They call him crow horse. But then, you know, as more details come up, 
through his investigation, he starts becoming unbuttoned. He loses the tie. He loses the jacket. He loses the, the crappy CIA, FBI, Chrysler car that we all had to drive back when back in the day as federal employees. <laughs> the K car. <laughs> K car. <laughs> and, you know, in the one scene that made me laugh, he's doing um, surveillance on grandpa. And that res dog shows, he's sitting in this beat up truck and this res dog shows up. And I was like, oh, here we go. And sure enough, that res dog stays with him for the rest of the show. <laughs> he even leaves with them right at the end. At the end. Yeah. Yeah. I like the res dog because it, it, it didn't, it had a missing leg, right? It was one yeah. leg. All right. Yeah. <laughs> he was a good boy. But he even got the, <laughs> he even got the res dog right, you know. But yeah, there were a lot of storylines going on in Thunderheart just because of the the teacher. There's the teacher storyline. There's the FBI. she was a badass actress. I don't I've not I don't I haven't seen her in many movies. I don't think she was I don't think she was in a whole lot else actually after this one even yeah. though she was great I really she was wonderful really liked her I really yeah. liked the character and and even back then I was like I was really like into her like oh yeah this girl's pretty cool man well and that character was based on an activist mm-hmm. anime aquash mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you want to tell us about that uh, I I don't know a lot about it and maybe one of y'all did well I I don't remember. I'm a little bit fuzzy, I'll be honest, on the details of anime Aquash, but it was, if I remember rightly, it was, there was a series of murders and disappearances that started off the incident at Oglala, the wounded, wounded knee. Her murder was one of them. She was an activist. She was uh, advocating for Native women and I think she she was advocating for a return of traditional ways into the government because, as we know, like it's hard. It, it was hard on a lot of people, but it's especially hard on Native women. I think we touched on that before. But anyway, so that was Anime Aqua. She was she was a very active member of the community, and she wound up dead. She turned up dead. And that was, I think, one of the that her her death was one of the uh, was one of the things that started off that standoff at Wounded Knee back in the seventies, which the movie is based off of. And unfortunately, you know, like in the movie, we see that anime that the this actress, uh, the lady is she's murdered, Eagle Bear. I think the character's Maggie. name is it's Maggie Eagle Bear. And um, I think her story was probably very similar to the real anime Aquash, but I know, but I remember reading that that's, that's kind of um, what started, or her murder was one of a series of murders and disappearances. Yeah, there was a big, that incident. there were like 27 unsolved murders on Pine Ridge Reservation at that time, which is what started the FBI investigating into it. Yeah. And the. Uh, at some at one point, Sam Shepard's character mentions to Val Kilmer's character. He says, Hey, you know, there were two agents. I've seen two agents, you know, they were face down in the dirt, you know, face down in the ground. And of course, that's 
that's the culmination actually that it was the incident at wounded knee was there was a series of murders disappearances of native peoples two fbi agents go into a compound they're shooting there's always been discrepancies no one agrees on who started shooting first all they know is that two fbi agents were all of a sudden dead though nobody knows why and that's well when we go when we watch the documentary, we'll hear more about that because the documentary goes into more about that. My memory of anime Aquash was that remember she was found dead on a highway. And I thought she was actually trying to find out who was murdering these these women on that reservation. And Indian, you know, talk is that, you know, it was most likely the FBI who killed her. Yeah. And I think she was like her Micmac. And she was she is. She's she was Micmac. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of moving pieces to this script let's talk about johnny trudell uh, in this my favorite character <laughs> yeah i mean oh my gosh that famous jump over the hood of the car with the handcuffs that, that was beautiful wasn't that beautiful was that him yes how many, how many natives do y'all know tried to do that <laughs> <laughs> it was just amazing yeah that was beautiful i loved it yeah yeah it, it, yeah so like i think i can't remember if i knew who he was back then oh i had I, no idea he in a way kind of like became like a hero of mine like when i was younger you know and not only with like just his activism but even his like music and the words he speaks man i mean he's like that dude was like fucking he was like top notch to me just the shit that he could do and he said it was like real well, shit the stuff that he says in grandpa's trailer is oh, just yeah yeah amazing i don't know if he wrote that or if the screenwriter wrote it i don't know who came up with it but he, he had to have written it agreed dude was a, he was sold that motherfucker yeah he was that was an amazing part for him so the question is you know how much how much are we willing to forgive when we get into all of the mysticism yeah I was curious about that because um, I'm watching it again. I feel awkward whenever they're introducing grandpa to Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. And there's that real mysticism. Like he doesn't speak English. Oh, he doesn't speak English. And uh, a lot of it plays up the native humor. So there's this, we do sense that he's like, of course we know he's toying with him. We know that he's playing with him, but then I don't know if, I feel like they're for the nineties, they're trying to grant him this degree of respect, but I feel like we would treat it. We would, we would try to, we, I like to think we would take it farther because I, I like the way Michael gray eyes plays with mysticism, you know, like whenever he, uh, Oh, in a different show, when we talk about, if we get to talk about Rutherford falls, when he, when Michael gray eyes, his, he's praying and he's playing on the white guilt and he t- says things, you know, like unfortunate genocide, you yeah. know, he says things like this. And, <laughs> and so there's this real, <laughs> real native humor. And I feel like uh, the humor that is displayed in this, the native humor where, you know, it, it, we're poking fun at Val Kilmer. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the ways and he's got a trade and grandpa's going to trade him a rock for his, for his ray his ray bands ray bonds uh, bands bonds trade him a a piece of i don't know what for for his rolex 
I don't know. Like it, it feels the word that came to mind was I feel like we're othering a medicine person here who they're they're usually they're just normal people. They just happen to, you know, they're like holy people, you know. And so it felt a little bit like we're othering a person almost is is what it felt like a little bit. But we we still have this degree of native humor where we know he's playing with him. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was impressed with. You know, I think I was expecting something a little more shallow for grandpa. Mm-hmm. And he was more of a fleshed out character than what I was expecting. Yeah. He winds up being a fairly, fairly good character because it, it's revealed. Of course, he knows what's going on the whole time. I think they made a lot of use of the local talent. Yeah. You know, in the bar, in the motel, at the powwow. And what, and what, if, and I did write down actually what, uh, going back to, uh, what, what the fuck's the thing, John Trudell. Like, I did actually write down what he said when I was watching it. He says, they have to kill us because they can't break our spirits. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. We choose the way of earth. About power, going back, it was about power, power in the rain, power in the river. You know, those kind of shits was like, oh shit, this motherfucker's bringing it. <laughs> That's why that, I wonder who wrote that. If yeah. You wrote it. I'm sure. Is, that, is this also his first movie? Oh, I doubt it. He didn't, he, he did he a lot of theater and I mean, all those AIM guys got into movies in okay. theater. Yeah. And then he, no, he, it was his second. Pow Wow Highway was his first one. Who was in Pow Wow Highway? I forgot. Louis Shorthair. That must be like at the Pow or something. I haven't watched that in forever either. That's, that's the next one we need to watch. Cause Dang. I love that movie more than the motherfucker. That's like one of my tops. Best, and I, I was just recently told it's a Christmas movie, so it's probably my favorite what? Christmas movie because it's set during Christmas time. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, let's continue. <laughs> Y'all quit fucking digressing. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I think that would be brilliant if a native person redid this. Yeah. Because there were, but the on the flip side of that, there's a lot of dialogue between the FBI, the non-native people that rings very true to the time and to today mm-hmm. about how natives just need to suck it up and assimilate and give up this idea and da, da, da. I mean, it's what we've heard for centuries and it's just all out there for the non-natives to say. And, you know, that w- th- some of those words kind of hit hard seeing it on the big screen like that i was just like "Ooh, ow you know yeah. it's implied but just coming out and calling him what they called him and yeah i mean like that was tough for me the like derogatory things they said like jimmy's playing crazy horse and what did he say chief he called he called that one guy chief pain in the ass mm-hmm. and um uh, and i can't find i wrote it down but i can't find it right now but where he says like you know says like they're lost people man they, they lost and, and we need to come and regulate them you know so you know, they're a conquered nation he's like yeah. they're, they're proud people you know oh, i like these people i respect these people but they're they're conquered people mm-hmm. and their their lives are should be dictated you know by the nation that you know by the nation that conquered them essentially that was hard for me man i was like i was hurting man i hate it made me hate the fbi again you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> Talking about it being a third world nation right here in the great United States. 
Yeah. yeah. And then the way he, the way Sam Shepard's character is able to get Val Kilmer, Kilmer's char- character to be all like, well, aren't these your people? Like he's trying to get him to disown them. He's trying to get them to. And, and he does. Cause he's like, Oh, they want to, they want to claim the, the, the land back, you know, from Alaska all the way down to Argentina, according to Sam Shepard and Val Kilmer's like, well, they need to clean up their, need to clean up their yards first, you know? And that's like, Hey, but that's what people said. People still say that. Yeah, I mean, and that was the other thing too. I was, I don't know if you looked at many of the reviews, but some of the reviews were really fucking like racist. Ooh. I'm trying. I, I I couldn't find a review, but I saw some somebody quoted like I think it was on the IMDb thing, but it was basically like talking about the the the, the poor Indians and that kind of shit. And even one one title was the. Uh, Dances with Rose. Val Kilmore dances with Rose. Tim Underheart. With Rose? With Rose, like R-O-L-E-S, his movie role. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, I was like, wait, what? No, okay. Rose, okay. So so here, uh, somebody right on Entertainment Weekly says, the film is a leftover 1970s conspiracy theory were it not for the novelty of its setting, a modern Indian reservation which, as the movie reveals, is by now a fancy word for slum. Yeah, wow. that's about Entertainment Weekly, yo. I want to say some cuss words right now. You know, and Roger Ebert Variety, was much kinder, you know. He was like... Variety said uh, that Kilmer holds the screen strongly in an intense young Turk role, but when the script calls for him to transform into a mythical Indian savior, he doesn't quite feel the moccasins. Jeez! Wow. Uh. And then, fired. Fired. I, yeah, that's variety and fucking entertainment weekly, like you know the bigger mag mags, you know. And the the other one, I mean, like when the, that Crosby steals the Nash guy when he says Perry inward. Yes. Oh, oh my, my god! He said that too easily to me. Is like and, I and then, know. And he's like a famous rock and roll guy. Why would he? use that role to, to have a cameo in couldn't it be the other guy who shot just stands there i know i was just like wow if that was me i'd say no nah, i can't say that not y- y'all don't pay me enough i'll, I'll do the other one <laughs> unless they just really want to. <laughs> yeah for sure i yeah my jaw hit the ground when that term came out yeah and it was like crosby steals whatever his name is Crosby, right? Is it Crosby? It's the bearded guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And Is I was like, Crosby? Oh, I think so. Stella Crosby. But yeah, so that was like, that was the hard one. I was like, because it was a famous dude, famous musician. I was like, fuck, he says that. He's willing to say that. I know. David Crosby, yep. Yeah, David Crosby. But anyways, can you teen you on? Sorry to <laughs> throw you off here. No, it's, I mean, yeah, that, that brings up the point, one of the terms that I wanted to discuss. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm all sorry. All slurs. All of them. Sorry for jumping ahead. No, no, no. It's perfect because, you know, again, again, I think this would be great for an, an upgrade by a modern native storyteller, but I think it would be really important to keep that part of it, mm-hmm. of the ethnic slurs and the belittling and just remembering all of the racism the overt 
Right. You know, it gets real subtle these days, mm-hmm. but back then it was just, you know, how many times was that where I, I was called blanket butt or drunk Indian jokes, or, you know, people would tell those around my dad and mm-hmm. all, you know, and we just kind of smiled and went along with it because we were the only two there and there was, you know, what you, and everybody was doing it. Everybody was laughing. So you just kind of walk away, but that was the time mm-hmm. it was, I mean, this is supposed to take place in the seventies, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure what the era was of this movie. Cause yeah. I feel like it was in the nineties, but yeah. based on the seventies event. And I wondered why they did that instead of just having it set in the seventies. Do you think it was set in the seventies or was it set in the nineties? No, I, I felt the same way. Like, I don't know what it was about the movie, but it felt very nineties, but mm-hmm. I was like, but I know that these, these events are supposed to take place in the seventies. I guess maybe, maybe it's the cars or something. I don't know. I was like, I didn't see anything that just yelled at me seventies. I know it was probably partly the fashion, you know, like I'm watching Graham Greene's fashion, you know, cause I'm like digging his vest and I'm digging his denim and denim. Yeah. Maybe that was seventies, but maybe it would have been more seventies if he had flares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he That's just had like, normal, yeah, like your regular pants. I love that. Our introduction to him is that he's coming up on his motorcycle. I really hope he's, he's riding that motorcycle and he's got a drag with him, you know, so he can take yeah, that yeah. body back yeah. to ceremony. But I, I just love that because I had forgotten about that image. You know, there he comes. Ooh. <laughs> he was, oh my gosh. So great. In this movie. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it's a this wonderful a great performance, role. you know, cause he just thumbs his nose at all of that FBI bullshit. Yeah. yeah, I like every time he drive by that. Uh, like, that's a hard. He'd be flipping them off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, we were. I think uh, we're really given a voice through. I feel like the native surrogate voice. We're we're given it through anim through um, Maggie Eagle Bear, but especially through Graham Greene, where it's just like, you suck. Basically, mm-hmm. you suck, and you don't know what you're doing. Well, and I I was not familiar. You know, Fred Ward, of course, is not native as far as I know, but he's such a great actor, but, and this is part of the story, the history that I don't know. I didn't know anything about the goons. Oh, the goons. And mm-hmm. I, the and squad, still, like the actual goon squad, like the actual goon squad and exactly why they were roughing up their own people. As I recall, it was mostly about power and control because it was Dick Wilson, right? Who was running the goon squad in, in that era. And they were just trying to, to control the Indians. And I'm assuming they like, according to, again, according to Indian stories is that the FBI were supplying them with weapons and things like that to yep. control the aim. Oh, okay. and, and they were, I'm assuming they were also paid off. And if you're paying off these cats, they're going to, you know, turn on their own people and try to stop them because the main goal of FBI was to annihilate who yeah. we are and what we stood for and the things we stood up for. That makes sense. The government's way, you know, <laughs> And I think part of, if I remember correctly, let me see, I'm, I might be misremembering, but I think part of the goon squad formation was that, and this will probably actually, we'll get more into it if, if we do the documentary, the incident at Oglala, the chairman that, what is his name, is based on the, Dick Wilson, wasn't it? Dick Wilson, yeah, okay, Dick, yeah, Dick Wilson, when he got into office, 
the traditionalists didn't want him in office, I think is what it is. So that was part of like, he set up this goon squad. He got, he reached out to the FBI or he reached out to the Bureau, but the Bureau wanted him in that position. And that's partially why they gave him these things to help form the goon squad. And I think it was about, like you said, Tully, I think it was just about keeping power, but I think it's what it was. It was an unfair election is what I want to say. It was like, like the votes were off. Something was off about the votes and that he had actually maybe not rightfully won, I think is what it was. I think, I think am I, I, I need to remember my aim history. They don't teach us that in schools. You know, I had to go and find that out for myself. <laughs> Yeah, they do not. They do not teach you about AIM. No, I learned more about AIM when I went to Alcatraz and took the tour. Because that (laughs) was a great display or exhibit about the occupation. I learned more there. Another place to hear some good words of John Chudale, too. Yeah. That whole time period of that Oglala area and incidents and all that... It's kind of complicated because, you know, we, we're, our facts is, are the facts are kind of like uncertain and we're not like, we don't even know what really happened. Like, it's true. Like, I mean, even we have uh, Leonard Peltier, who's considered a political prisoner. We, our understanding evidence does prove that he did not shoot those guys and that he, he, he may, may not have even been there. Yeah, yeah. There's a possibility he may have been there. There are people who said he was there. And again, there are people who said he wasn't. So, you know, but the reality, if we base it on our, our government court system, he should not be in prison. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, there's no one that's ever even worked at releasing him. Every time, every year a president is uh, about to leave office, we're always hoping that, you know, that pardon will come through. But for some reason, it doesn't. And everybody's like pissed at Obama because they thought Obama was the guy who was going to, it was going to do it or even Bill Clinton. So, you know, there's something like something deep that happened, you know, that we will never know probably. And it's, and it's some shitty stuff. And, and it was like, again, like, like, like the movie talked about, you know, it was a civil war and, and it was us against us and them against us everywhere in between. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I really enjoyed watching it as an adult with a few decades separation from it. It's a release, you know, were there problems? Oh yeah. We could have done without all the mysticism stuff. hundred percent. Yeah. But otherwise I thought it was really good. Val Kilmer, not his strongest performance, especially when he was up against Graham Greene. Yeah, sorry, Graham just he knocked him. Yeah, yeah. If this yeah. was a chicken dancing contest, Graham Greene wins. Especially after he came off the Jim Morrison movie, because he was a badass as Jim Morrison. I don't know if you ever you got you it's, ever saw. It's him. excellent. Yeah, it's excellent. No, and, I never seen him. And that was a thing too. You know, when they show the ghost dancing that he would see in in his quote unquote vision. I was like, are these the Indians from the Jim Morrison movie? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> God. But, you know, I mean, who knows? Did the studio come down and be like, hey, we need more woo-woo stuff or nobody's going to go see it. Nobody's going to believe it. Who knows? You know, I mean, 
the studio system is messed up or was is pretty messed up back then too about reinforcing racial stereotypes but yeah at the end of the day i liked watching it again more than i thought i would and it made me go look up the history yeah yeah and also you know there was also the poverty porn problem too there's the poverty porn problem and of course we have the trope of smart native woman gets killed Actually, I thought that was very traumatic, you know, when the kid, mm-hmm. when, when her house gets shot up and I was just like, and oh, and then when, when uh, Sham Shepard's character, when he points a gun and I know it's a prop at John Trudell's face, there's a part of me like now with the, with, I hope the protocols that they have now I would want a therapist or somebody on set to be like, Hey, are you okay? Before and after this scene, you know, do a check-in. Well, the- huh? those motherfuckers were shooting and there were people they were like kids yeah in the direction that he was shooting yeah <laughs> yeah and i was like this is probably what really happened they probably didn't give a fuck who was there they just shot at anybody and everything because our law enforcement is probably not that much different right now <laughs> you know? probably not <laughs> yeah yeah when they're chasing the kids out of the school and trashing the school oh. i was like well that probably is that probably actually happened yeah. And it probably it probably did actually happen. But I would hope if it were made now, I would hope that there would be some kind of a person on set that's like, hey, let's check in. We're about ready to do a traumatic thing. This is acting. This is hopefully safe space, you know, especially for John Trudell, because um, mm-hmm. you remember like his wife, he lived that his wife. And yeah. did he have a kid? I know his yeah. wife died because they set his house on fire. And his wife's mother, I think, were, were the ones who died. Yeah, I, I'm just like, I don't know how John Trudell was able. I, I hope he was okay, you know, when I hope he was okay during the filming of this. No, I'm sure he was feeling it, but, you know. So, yeah, the movie makes me angry, of course, because, yeah, there's some mysticism. It's like, yeah, that's BS and all that. But, um, yeah, it, it is probably the only movie, we, the only, like, dramatization we have, I think about the incident at wounded knee and i'm actually very surprised that there aren't more there's a pretty good amount of documentaries but not like whatever you dramatizations call it. Dramatization. yeah it says here that his wife was tina manning their three children and his mother-in-law leah hicks manning were the ones who were burned and again it's that thing where we don't know what really happened but, but we always say believe it's probably it the, FBI. FBI. It's yeah. the fbi so yeah, and, and it was traumatizing for me to watch a lot yeah. of like the the sweat lodge scene. What it was? Oh like, my gosh! Yeah, when they thing. when they get yeah. him out of the sweat lodge, that was yeah, that was his, that was rough. Because he was pointing guns, they were pointing guns at everybody there too, right? And yeah, that was a hard scene for me to watch. Yeah, there was lots of it. There's just lots of it that's really hard to watch, and it's packed in into 120 minutes. And I'm like, I need some tea. <laughs> <laughs> need to self-soothe while i watch this traumatizing movie (laughs) but i'm also learning about american indian movement and aim and things that really happened how long ago was that 75 what is that 40 yeah around it is 40 years ago yeah i can't do math is that 40 yeah because it's 2021 coming up on a few years of the anniversary of the incident at oglala yeah it says the wounded knee occupation happened in 1973 
Oh, dang. Okay. Oh, dang. So next year's the next year's 50th anniversary, right? Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good reminder of what things were like 50 years ago. And isn't it nice now? Here we are, or here you are on the Muskogee Creek Reservation as a, pronounced by SCOTUS. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like we still know, I mean, we're still having our problematics with our government. I mean, let's look at STIT. So we have that happening. So we're, yeah, we're, what is it like a one step forward, two step back sometimes is what we have. And, and so the, the pipelines, the, the standing uh, rock, standing rock. Yeah. Pipeline. Remember originally it was going to go through the city. Yeah. But those, the city people said, we don't want that going through our, through, our, through our city because we don't want it to bust. We don't want it to poison people. We don't want big people sick. So what's the second thing to do? Well, let's just put it on Indian land. Yeah, that's easy, right? Just just put it through the reservation. They won't mind. Yep. Yeah, let's get it close to that water. So if it does, it'll contaminate the water for everybody. Yeah. Again, based Thunderheart. Yeah, based <laughs> on Thunderheart. <laughs> and not only yeah. do they contaminate that water, now Hawaii's got contaminated water. I know. I've been I've been following that on social media for like a week before they announced it on the news. And I know the only reason they announced it on the news, like world news, was because it was uh, veterans families who were finally like, my children, my my family, I fought for this country. Dang it. And now you we got petroleum leaking into our aquifer and poisoning this community. And I was like, I know the only reason this probably got put on the news is because it wasn't affecting just the indigenous people of the island is because it was affecting all the, the other families as well. And it's like, clean it up, dadgummit, clean up, stop making a mess. Stop doing that. It makes you wonder if the FBI opened up a bunch of files on the standing rock folks. Mm. Oh, historically, I, I bet oh, they I bet did. They, oh, I bet they did. Did, yeah. any, did any of you guys go up there? Dad went up there. I wanted to go and I, I wanted to go so badly, but that was um, dad was going to go up in October. I was going to go with him. But at that time, my friend, Mary Catherine, uh, she booked me to do a play in Alaska about missing and murdered indigenous women in Alaska. So at the time that I was in Alaska doing that play and we were talking about MMIW and we, well, we were talking about domestic violence and sexual assault against native women. Dad went up to Standing Rock and dad said, it was a very, he said it was a good experience. And I know, and I'm so glad that dad went, dad went with a, a veteran friend of his, Hominy, Hominy Little Dave, who is like a Green Beret. And they went in and dad said that there were police checkpoints and yeah, they checked them. And, you know, there's no place to stay there. There's one hotel and people are coming in and out. And uh, dad went up there. He took some supplies and I sent some money and I sent some supplies along with him. Cause I also had two friends, a couple, few friends that actually, you know, we, I'm sure we all did. We all had friends who went up there, friends and family. Oh yeah. But dad went up there. He said that they, um, they announced him and they danced him in. And there was this little boy named, they called him wolf. And he, they said that he didn't have any parents and that he was just dancing, dancing dad in kind of like an honor circle, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, dad gave him a pair of stick ball sticks, you know, to kind of honor him. And they just said he loves to dance, you know, he doesn't really, you know, everybody just kind of takes care of him, you know, um, he just loves to dance. And I remember it was, um, I know it was a very powerful thing for dad to go and see and be a part of the camp. 
for a little while. Yeah. And again, like you said, there was these checkpoints. And again, I was thinking about the goons and how they had those checkpoints. And and this time it was our, I believe it was like the, the, the county uh, police department that were doing that, right? Yeah, it was and, the uh, county police. I know it was, I never imagined this. This was the first time in my life that I really realized how fragile our sovereignty was and actually how anti-Indian the government still is. Like it was, it was an awakening. It was an awakening for me, you know, and I, and I can't imagine what it must've been for you all because you all, you, you all remember, sorry, I can't tell how old either of you are really. (laughs) Y'all got that good grease. Why, thank you. (laughs) Good time. Yeah, I, you know, we weren't around for, I wasn't around for Wounded Knee, uh, more like 80s growing up. and Yeah, Wounded Knee was way before my, not way before, but I was too little to know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But growing up, I heard the stories from people who talk about it. And like, even when um, I saw like on the news that they were talking about a movie that was going to be about Wounded Knee. I, and I told my dad, we were all excited about it. So, oh, man, there's going to be a movie about what you mean. I'm assuming it was this movie that they Probably, were making. Probably, yeah. And um, so I remember that happening. And my dad, so like um, he, you know, kind of was, you know, ha- having to deal with these kind of things within our tribe, like not even just like U.S. government, but even within our tribal people. And so he was around during the 70s when we were about to, to uh, give up our give up our sovereignty because uh, I believe it was Chief Belvin at the time ready to uh, do you know back in when they were uh, when tribes were asked to not be tribes and become U.S. citizens. Uh, oh crap! Now I can't remember what that term is. Yeah. Termination. Termination. Termination yeah. policy. During the termination policy. Yeah, and so that was going to happen in 1970. And really. Yeah, and he he had the he had the fight with the with his own tribe for that. And I believe it was the BIA had him, had him step in a car and ride in the back with them. They drove him around. Of course he was hesitant, but he's like, he got in cause you know, what else are you going to do? And they said, you know, what's going to happen, right? He said, if you guys, because back then the U S government would elect your chiefs yep. before you, didn't, you weren't able to elect them. So they said, and so, that was the other thing they were fighting for is like, we got to be able to elect our own chiefs and we got to have more control over a government. And so when they threw him in that car and they said, you know, what's going to happen is you guys are going to, you guys aren't good enough to take care of yourself. So when you get a chief in there, he's going to ruin everything, take over and fuck all you over basically. And, and my dad was like, well, you know what? The reality is that might be true, but I'd rather my own people fuck around on us than you guys because at least I have a chance with our people and so that's probably kind of what happened with Dick Wilson because if that was 1973 Mm -hmm. that was probably when they were giving it right and so you know so it happens and but you know we are better and we will get better we will be better Mm yeah yeah (laughs) always because travel politics is always shitty yeah it will get better you know it will be better because we are better for it yeah in fact there's a movement in uh, alaska now to have the same recognition of the tribes that the lower 48 does here on the 50th anniversary of ANCSA, there's been a call for 
that kind of recognition. I don't know that it'll ever happen, but at least the conversation is getting started. Yeah. What does the state lose or who loses if the Alaskan Native corporations become federally recognized tribes? It's two very different systems. The corporations are were put in place to, to handle the money from the pipeline. The tribes are still in place. They are sovereign nations, but they don't have a government to government relationship with the feds. I mean, if I remember that correctly. So the treaty rights that the lower 48 have, trust land, I think is some of the stuff that they gave up in ANCSA. So I haven't done a deep dive into it just because I know it probably won't happen in my lifetime. But there's a lot of very motivated young Inuit people that are making the call for this. And I think it's great. I wish them all the luck. Yeah, when I went up to, when I was up in Fairbanks and we were doing this play, my dad was up. It, it felt like a very, I don't know, did you all feel it? Not to, not to overly mystify things, but it felt like a very spiritual thing. Fairbanks? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, when dad was in oh. Standing Rock, dad's in Standing Rock and he's resisting corporate interests. And um, while I was in Fairbanks, I, I was being led in prayer by, um, by a group of intertribal women in the water to pray over the water because we were thinking of our Standing Rock people. And um, we were being censored in our play for calling out one of the senators for leaving out the the alaskan native women and the the violence against women act we were being censored for that wow but not surprised yeah it it was uh it was crazy and it just it really felt like a spiritual battle for me at that time i don't know it just felt like a lot of things were happening and i I don't know it it felt like i don't know something was going on and no there was something going on yeah during standing rock and idle no more yeah that there was a lot of that was i think that's the genesis of a lot of the things that we're seeing now yeah yeah we're still i think like my friend mk said we're still unpacking a lot of the fallout from from these things that were happening and i'm glad that senator seemed to have caught why she seemed to have gotten better it seems with native relations but yeah it was was really bad and like you know dad's up there learning about you know, oh, all the things that were missing up at up at, at Standing Rock, and then I was hearing about how there's no 911, you know, and how this this one of the Alaskan Native chiefs was saying like we have to stand guard over a body for three days because there's no police out here, and there's the only way to and from some of these places is by boat, so or, or by plane. And he says, so uh, we had these children had to stand guard over a body you know where someone had committed suicide mm-hmm. mm. and it was it's, alaska is a very different creature from the lower 48 in many ways it was oh my gosh it was just felt there were a lot of things that were rocking at that time and not always like i don't know it just felt like 
it felt like the earth was rumbling like it was angry and also alive i don't know <laughs> i don't know how to, how to i don't know how to explain it except it was very powerful convergence of things going on <laughs> that's good that's good we need more of that yeah so here y'all talking about the trope of mystical Indians and here y'all talking about mystical I know. experiences. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I didn't see visions or anything. I'm just saying like, it just felt. Felt it. <laughs> and a movie has to show the visual. Yes, <laughs> a movie has to show the visual. So maybe if you look at it, like maybe it's that feeling that he's had. We're just seeing it visually. <laughs> 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 And now you're the apologist. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah there's. A, I I don't think that natives are the only ones that have that connectivity amongst their people. I think that everybody can feel that, whether you're at a sports game or a family reunion, or you know, you feel that sense of being a belonging to something bigger than yourself. Yeah, I don't know why we're attributed with mystical powers when everybody feels it <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't like I didn't of course like... if you were in fairbanks it probably was an earthquake <laughs> <laughs> i think i felt just very close with everybody and i just wanted i wanted the people to rise up and take back what was theirs you know dang it <laughs> are you are you the seventh generation well, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it. <laughs> Good. Get out there. Yeah. Good. We've been we've been carrying this load for a while. We're ready to share it. Hand, with the next hand it over. Yeah. Alrighty. It's weird as I get older and you you know, you at first you realize that you're the youngster and then you know, the young person. And then I think last year I realized I'd moved on to auntie status and then <laughs> And then I was somewhere and like they were discussing everything and then they all looked at me and I was like, oh, I'm the elder. I am the elder in the room. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Who made that choice? <laughs> you didn't know we were the elder we needed. <laughs> uh, but, you know, my grandmother was, well, she's uh, Choctaw. She was Choctaw. Mm. And so just what, two generations ahead of me, she in her older years was always afraid of the cavalry and she would, she had dementia and she would look out the front door and see the, the tents and the officers. And, and I was, you know, just a little bitty, but it was just so impactful for me to realize what that would have been like to be a little girl, my age and look out the door and be surrounded by cavalry. And so, you know, and then her husband was kidnapped and taken to boarding school and shaved and beaten. All of us descendants are, I mean, we're pretty much assimilated. So it happened very quickly for our family. But I stand out because I'm adopted and I'm the only one that looks native, which of course is why my grandmother loved me best. <laughs> <laughs> I was her only Indian grandbaby, and I could oh. do no wrong. Oh, of course. <laughs> no, no. Well, that uh -huh. too, also speaking of that, but even in the movie, I don't know if that's what you got to, talking about to bring you up to that. Even Graham Greene talked about his boarding school experience. Mm -hmm. Like it was like a real brief moment. Very brief, but yeah, he brought it up. Yeah. 
which probably wasn't talked about in movies back then up until then. No, you're right. That's probably true. It probably wasn't. Dang. Maybe that's why. Okay. Because I thought that was a strange moment. I mean, because it felt very exposition-y. I thought, dang, you know, if it, I don't know if it was just the budget of the of the film or whatever, but I was like, that's pretty expositiony of Graham of of that dialogue right there, you know, and that's very traumatic and a very traumatic movie to, <laughs> for him describing what he went through, you know, boarding school. They had my hair cut, lost my language, and I don't know. I kind of thought usually in the movies nowadays, like wouldn't they show something like that now mm-hmm. instead of saying it? Yeah, like in a flashback or something. Yeah, like wouldn't there be, I don't know. Um, but I know this wasn't that kind of movie. It had it had to be some kind, it, it was had to be procedural in areas because it's FBI. So the budget back then, $15 million. How much is that in today's money? Do we know? I don't know. Oh, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> in today's money, it's $250 million. Yeah, for like an action movie, wasn't it like about... 30 or 40 million probably back then i don't know but i mean you know 15 million that's not chump change back in 91 when would it have been shot 90 91 yeah i wonder if somebody could just re-edit it and just rip out all the mysticism woo -woo stuff and just make a really good tight action film from it Hmm. according to inflation let us do that According to inflation calculator, one million is one million nine hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars one hundred eighty-four cents in today's standard. So double, probably yeah. thirty yeah. million. Yeah, that's still low. I mean, that seems yeah, like that's a not, low. that's not that big, is it? No, but back then I think that was like probably like an average. Maybe it was twenty million for an action movies. I don't even know what happened to TriStar. Is TriStar still around? I don't think so. So yeah, for like the 19, I just randomly tried to find something for like the Batman 1989 movie. It was 38, 35 to 48 million. What is that all? Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Those are big budget shows back then. Oh, Batman was huge. Mm-hmm. I remember, man, I was like, I was all about, I went to see it at the midnight show with my- Me my, too! Yeah, it was in Oklahoma City at the Quail Springs, I think. Oh, and, I was in Shawnee. That's awesome. And my sister, I was visiting my sister. She's in college. And I was like a super bad fan anyway. And so she got us tickets and tickets. And it was like, it was our Baron Munchausen. And in retrospect, I probably should have took Baron Munchausen. So do you guys want to talk about the the uh, the Val Kilmer situation? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Because I don't know what to say, except he's not Cherokee. He's I know not. he claimed it, but he's not. So yeah i I like him as an actor i think he's awesome in tombstone i think he deserved the he probably got an oscar nom that's great but no real indians real natives and real roles and he's not so all right so any other final thoughts the film makes me angry and it makes me uncomfortable in ways but it makes me I guess in a way, good angry because it makes me it makes me want to resist, <laughs> resist assimilation, you know, and don't trust the FBI. What about you, Tully? This was one of my top movies when I was a, a young person, a kid. I don't know how old I was at the time, but I could I remember I saw it with my father and once, and then and then we as a family were going to go see it as as a group a second time, and we went we were going to the drive-in. For some reason, I think like 
my brother was running late or my cousin was running late or somebody was getting to the house late. So they, my, my mom and my sister and my dad left them and it was at a drive-in. And so then when whoever we were waiting on showed up, we all got in this, this big ass van basically. And instead of going in because we didn't want to pay for it, we just parked like right in front. And it was those kind of drive-ins where you could turn on the radio and listen to the oh, to yeah. movie. <laughs> so we just, just laid in those chairs and just watched the movie. <laughs> so we just saved our money. So we didn't. <laughs> So that was like probably like you know how you know you connect to a movie in different ways, and that's probably one of the big ways that I, I did it. But but even then, like I said, I always thought it was like a, a good movie because of of the things that were talked about, the 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 issues that were spoken of, and plus you had Graham Greene who was just like this really badass, and then you had John Trudell and this who was the person that played played Maggie? A uh, Sheila Towsey. Yeah, Sheila Towsley, and like those are like my standouts. And then, like I said, like those those old cats who were there that you just like, like the grandma and grandpa who were just like these crazy looking, like just like just everybody was just like so authentic and real. And it almost felt like you know, like you know, these cats at least gave a shit about Indians. They didn't just want to make it, you know, with all the you know stereotypes aside and the res porn. And back then, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I guess there was there were like, there was always this issue about the the use of ceremonies in these movies and like, you know, like how they had the sweat lodge and how people had problems with that. And so they kind of like said, yeah, you probably shouldn't be showing that kind of stuff because that's sacred shit. And it shouldn't be like just used as a, as a story device. And, and I guess the ghost dance at the beginning, right. They were like, you know, that's like complicated. And I know there were like so many that had problems with that, but as an overall movie, I do wish it was actually a biopic of the actual events that happened within Oklahoma. And also, I wish that, you know, it was like more native controlled. And I would love to see a remake of this film where we did set it in the period and we did have these actual, like the actual real characters playing these scenes because that shit was real and that shit was probably even more tough than what we saw on screen with this movie. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it did make you want to, you know, inspire and things like that. When I saw it with my dad, I think we saw it in Sherman, Texas at a movie theater. And when, as we were leaving, he's like, you know, he said, so one day, you know, you, you will probably be getting to a point where you have to step up because, you know, we all had to do it at one point in our lives. And so at some point, you're going to have to step up for your people. And so that was like my big takeaway from <laughs> that movie with my dad. Told me. Well, thank you guys for discussing this tonight. I think that was... I enjoyed it very much. It was a good episode. So yeah, thanks everybody for tuning in. We will catch next episode when we talk all things real and all things indigenous. And don't just keep it real. Keep it real indigenous. Peace.